0: Hello, welcome back. How's it going? Good, good. Um, So now we are in India. We jump right in. Last time we wrapped up our trip to Italy. Apparently, you know, we returned home for a couple of weeks for the holidays, but she doesn't talk about that in the book. And now we're in India. She says that she gets right into India, just like, when they, her family used to introduce a new chicken into the flock and you just kind of sneak in overnight and, <laughs> and it's like nothing changed. Right. And it's really powerful. She says it feels like Italy, like one day in India and it already feels like Italy is 10,000 miles away. It feels like she's in a, on a different planet almost. And I definitely understand and appreciate that, um, that sentiment. Um, she, she talks about how she's not meditated in four months, hasn't even thought about meditating in four months, but then it's like, again, now she's in a different mode. I, I, before we talk about the mantra, which I know you want to get to, I just want to highlight um, a couple of things that I think are important to kind of set the context because especially in this section, there's a lot of talk that some people uh, might not be able to connect to necessarily, lots of God and devotional talk and that kind of thing. So I want to just highlight that, you know, from my perspective, around the idea of yoga, right, I I view it very similarly to meditation, you have to kind of separate out the the practice from the philosophy that built around the practice. Mm -hmm. And so whether or not people can get value from meditation can get value from yoga, I think it's important to separate that out from any specific philosophy. And she highlights that somewhere as well, that you know there are people on this at this ashram from all different sorts of religions Absolutely. and backgrounds and stuff, and they don't all buy into like the philosophy of yoga full full hog or Hinduism or whatever it is. And that's my experience with meditation as well. It's hugely valuable, but I don't. I'm not going to be a Buddhist. Um,
1: uh, if I could just interject, I think in any religion, any philosophy, people take what resonates for that them in that moment. Right. And I think that's important because this 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 section of India can be difficult for a lot of people, to your point. But it's really about finding what resonates. Or for me, it was finding what resonated with me and reading it this time, as opposed to 20 years ago, roughly. I'm reading it differently this time because I'm in a different place. So I think that's important to
0: know. Yeah, I just want to I want to Slightly disagree though. I think while reading this, it's important to take the value that there is there. Cause I definitely had a, this is the least I've ever resonated with India because I have a very different approach and tone in my own thinking. But I, so I agree for this. It's like, there is still huge value out to get out of it, I think. But I disagree with like philosophy and religion as such. People just pick and choose. And I think that shows issues with it, right? You know. I think- I'm not,
1: okay, so just to clarify, I'm not saying pick and choose. I'm saying how your body internalizes at the time when you're reading it, based on where you are in your experience and what you're looking for at that time.
0: Oh, there you are. I, I,
1: I, yeah, I lost you there for a bit.
0: Um, okay, no, I don't want to I don't want to stick on this point. I think yeah. I understand what you what you mean. Um, I think it's also important to um, just kind of mention the, the, the word God. And I think, you know, people have all different sorts of views of what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sort of thing. For me, it's a psychological term, right? For me, this is about her connecting deeply with her deepest self. Um, And that's the that's the framework I take to it. And when she talks about God, I know kind of where I access that part of myself. And, and, you know, um, so I think people can still get value out of it if they kind of think of the highest experience they've had, the highest ideal they conceive of in their view, and then try and see, okay, do I think these practices, do I think this story helps me understand that and get closer to that um and one last thing that i i think is really interesting is yoga is very much about the mind and the body right she talks about Mm -hmm. it's about the meditation and the twisty pretzel body and stuff and i think it's really important i think a lot of people uh have issues with sort of their mind and their body feeling as if they're separate things but they're not. And and like, we are a unity. We are one thing. We are our whole self. And it's also interesting that that's what I think this book does. Right. The first section is her exploring the pleasures of the body. Now we're in India. We're going to explore the pleasures of the mind. But the whole point is to then get to Indonesia and try and learn how to integrate both. And I do think there's something important and interesting to um, exploring it like that. and I'll just highlight for for your interest and the and the listeners that when I, st- I I've had a very hectic weekend, but when I started to read this, I felt a very calming presence. Like I felt like even within my chaos, I did get calm. It seemed like her writing. I don't know if it was just me, but it seemed calmer than Italy, and so it was it was very interesting. But. On the note, so, you know, we get there and she starts with this mantra, which is actually the first med- the first mantra I ever meditated with as well. I took it from her, from this book, um, Om Namah Shivaya, I honor the divinity that resides within me. And so I, I know you wanted to talk about that.
1: Yeah, well, I feel that this is interesting because she went there with the intention that she was going to follow this guru. She's gone to her guru's ashram. And this is the the mantra that the guru uses in her practice. And Elizabeth went there with all this intention that this is what she was going to embrace. But because she still hasn't found that balance within herself, her body, her mind body started fighting against it. And we'll see later on how... She's still struggling as much as India, uh, Italy gave her some sort of peace in her discovering her body and allowing her body to just embrace what it was. Her mind is still not in a good place. Yeah. And so we'll see those struggles as we go through the chat, as we go through India, um, because the mind is such a powerful thing. And when we allow our mind to take us where we don't want it, where we don't want to go, where where our heart is telling us we don't want to go, it's that mind-heart um, duality and dual, right? Dual and duality. And so um, I'm really looking forward to discussing that more as we go through the chapter.
0: Yeah. I just want to make sure that there is no actual duality between like, let's say the heart and the mind. We can let that build up. If Absolutely. We don't have them communicate properly, but it's not inherent. I just want to make sure. Like, I know. And that's why no- I said
1: the dual is right as well. Right. Because they fight against each other. So dual is a dual is a fight between two things. And duality. But I, I'm saying
0: they don't, that's not the natural state. They're not like no, meant I- to fight.
1: I agree with you. In but some
0: people they do.
1: Exactly. And in Elizabeth they are and that mm. I've experienced that fight and I've had to learn how to find peace within it. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I think it's important to, that we we realize that she's still fighting herself.
0: Right. And yeah, I want to lean into this mantra. I honor the divinity that resides within me. Because again, that is kind of the essence of the way I view it. Like, I am like God or whatever it is, whatever you want, like the highest possible is within me. Like I have Absolutely. that ability, I have to get in touch with the the part of myself that knows I can be as good as possible as great as I can imagine. And like, so kind of and, and you know whatever kind of way that's painted in different areas I think it's important for for me and anyone I you know try and communicate with to really understand that it well no it is really about me and my relationship with myself and who I want to be and my ideal self absolutely and that kind of thing. um I also think it's important to notice that there's, there's two other things I sort of want to highlight because it seems to me that there's basically the first three chapters are basically preamble. She's kind of like setting the scene of you know the practice and her mm-hmm. her relationship with yoga and with divinity and this kind of stuff. Um, and two things I, I want to highlight again is one, that it's not an escape, right? Her guru says, that this is not an escape. It's not to, it's work, right? It's mm-hmm. if you actually really want to understand yourself, come here and work at it. And so, you know, I've not done four months, I did 10 days on a silent meditation retreat. And it was work, it was not like, uh, it was tough, right? Um, To just be with yourself and see and deal with all of the stuff that comes up when you have no distractions at all. Um, And and yeah
1: sorry go on i was just going to say another word that comes for me comes to mind is practice because once you've done the work and as you continue to do the work you're always doing your practice it's called a yoga practice it's called a meditation practice right because you're doing the work but are you ever getting to that absolute pinnacle you have to always be practicing to get there
0: right yeah i think that makes a lot of sense it's a good point to highlight for sure um and then the one thing I wanted, because I'm, I'm almost uh, anxious or hesitant for people who know me through my philosophy, my objectivism, like we're getting to a point where there's a lot of stuff that is kind of otherworldly in the way it's talked about. So I highlighted calling God's name, falling down the well shaft of the universe and these sorts of things. And I want people to make sure that, like, you know, it, ha- it has been tougher for me to read it this time but I still think there's a lot of value in it. Like I don't think when I meditate and when other people meditate, they're transported across the universe. But I have had experiences like I have had experiences in my mind while I'm meditating that, you know, some of these descriptions fit the experience, but I don't think that means they're literal, literally true. But I just want to kind of add that caveat that I hope people stay with if they are a bit um, skeptical or dismissive of these terms. I think, again, you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater just because you might disagree with the way people formulate things. I think there is still value to be, um, well, gotten from this.
1: And, and, you know, to your point, Elizabeth, uh, I think it's important to note that Elizabeth is speaking from her experience. Every single person's experience is going to be different. And so, however you decide to bring this type of practice into your life, it's going to be different based on what you're looking for, where you are in your practice. And, you know, there's no one catch all phrase for anything. And I think that's, what's important, whether it's God or universe or divine or, you know, however you want to say it, there's no one catch all phrase for anything. I have a different way of looking at it than somebody else does. And, you know, to your point about your objectivism, and you don't want people to be thinking whatever they're going to be thinking by listening to this. I don't want them to
0: get scared off, right? I think there's still value in this, even though it might be at odds with, you know, uh, some of like my general approach to life, right?
1: You know, and I think that when we meet Richard a little bit into this chapter, yeah. we'll start to see how you can be rooted to the earth and be rooted to those philosophies and still um, and still see how that other part can bring you balance mm-hmm. because that's what Richard does for her.
0: So yeah I, if we I continue think, I think it'll be interesting to to discuss him when when he shows up but Uh, You know, I'm, there's two main things I wanted to highlight both on page 132 of my edition, which is in chapter 41. Um, One thing that I think is really important and is basically sort of one of the most important things I hold with respect to my relationship with myself and some would say with God is that prayer is the act of talking to God while meditation is the act of listening to God. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I say my deepest self, I say myself, right? But, you know, there's very much this idea of prayer or of, you know, uh, affirmations of like putting out there for yourself what you want out of life. Right. Really saying, okay, this is what I'm aiming at. I'm asking myself for it or I'm asking God for it or whatever. I'm saying this is what I'm working for and actually vocalizing it. Right. And even I talked with a psychiatrist about even psychologically speaking, there's different processes if I think versus I speak, versus Mm -hmm. I write, versus I read, versus I hear. And so actually, like, quote, putting it out in the universe of prayer or whatever it is, it's actually also your mind processes it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So when I pray, I'm saying it, I'm hearing it, I'm thinking it. So that's like additional processing in my own mind of, okay, no, I really do want this. I'm putting in the effort to confirm it to myself. But that being said, meditation is when you meditate, Stuff comes up, right? Stuff comes up from somewhere, okay? Some people believe it's God. I don't, but it comes and it's important to slow down, to stop, to listen and hear what is your mind telling you? What is your body telling you? What aren't you listening to, paying attention to because you're so busy doing everything else and you're so busy controlling what's going on in your mind? Well, what does your mind just generate when you pause for 30 minutes or an hour or a day? Um, even for
1: even for 10 minutes even
0: for 10 minutes you
1: know again not to scare people off you don't have to meditate for 30 minutes for it to be beneficial you can meditate for 10 minutes and it can be more beneficial than some meditations that are 30 minutes
0: Mm -hmm. and the other thing i wanted to highlight from this page is i think she it's two points that i think are uh um one's good and one's really bad. So she puts it, your emotions are the slaves to your thoughts, and you are the slave to your emotions. So I agree with the first half and strongly disagree with the second half. But I think it's important to note that emotions are based on thoughts, right? And I think a lot of people don't understand that. That's Mm -hmm. what cognitive behavioral therapy is based on. It's a really important point that you can change your emotional state by learning to understand absolutely. your thoughts. And that's what's so big in meditation. Um, and, and, though I and, don't think you're a slave to your emotions. I think some, many, maybe many people are. Oh, absolutely. But you are is, is inaccurate. You don't have to be. And it's often. It's a, cho-
1: it's a choice. It's, an, right, a, cho- and it's it, a choice in an awareness that we have and that we make.
0: And people are often slaves to their emotions because they don't understand that their emotions are from their thoughts. right Right? so they feel like they can't control it and they don't want to act against their emotions or whatever it is
1: well that's that whole mind body mind heart thing right because emotion is linked emotion in society is linked to the heart thoughts are linked to the mind but they actually work together Mm -hmm. as well as working against each other right
0: yeah. And it's how you ascend. Well, this mm-hmm. isn't the right word, but it's how you kind of like program them. Right. Right. And what's really interesting is meditation is so like the way I view it, philosophy is like learning the programming. Like what is the right way to program the mind? Let's say that's not the right term, but that's how I, I think of it sometimes. Meditation, though, is kind of like clearing out the, the old programming. <laughs> Right. Right. It's not about what is the right way. It's about, well, let's just see what's in there. Let's really pay deep attention. Let's understand what's going on when I'm just watching what's going on. Uh, And
1: One of the things she says here is I can prattle away to God about my feelings and my problems all the live long day. But when it comes time to descend into silence and listen, well, that's a different story. When I ask my mind to rest in stillness, it is astonishing how quickly it will turn bored, angry, depressed, anxious, or all of the above. And And she's, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, she talks about like the vines, right? And how we're always digging in our past and poking at the future, but not just living in the moment. And I think that's really important because when we can let go of the past, and not have any expectation of the future, that's when we can find our peace. And this is what she's struggling with.
0: Right. And I want to highlight that no expectation for the future doesn't mean no plans for the future. Right. Right. It's but it's like exactly. the future, the world, quote unquote, doesn't owe you anything. Right. And the past cannot be changed. You can learn from it. And often, again, this this, this issue arises from a contradiction between your your thinking and your emotions and oh I should have done it differently and whatever it is and I also think the the way she says how it's different difficult to just be silent and listen and how she's trying to do that for herself or for God that's the baseline of actually knowing what that means to do it for other people (laughs) right and it's a very stereotypical issue now of Oh, I'm trying to tell you how I feel. And you're just trying to solve my problems. You're not listening, right? Right. Just be there, be silent and listen, right? And you have to, it's difficult to learn that because it's not really emphasized in our culture today.
1: Exactly. And she uses really, um, she uses words that I find very powerful. She says, unknowable future. She says, unharnessed, undisciplined. And I believe that, like, I feel right now our society is living with these things. And it's, it's important for me to note that our future will never be knowable. And so when we go into that place of living with the unknowable future, and in terms of the unharnessed and undisciplined, you know, that links to the listening piece. It links to the slowing down piece. You know, it's finding that, that way to just really stop let go and just be. And this is where a lot of people struggle. And this is I think where Elizabeth struggles as she begins her journey in India.
0: And this is the point that I think is so important for basically everyone I know, because, and especially people who are most skeptical of this sort of uh, framing of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. The issue isn't that we can't, we don't, can't know anything about the future obviously we can there we have some abilities but the whole idea is to focus on your own ability to deal with whatever happens to come up and that is only focused on okay this is the moment I'm alive am I able to deal with this moment now and the more you learn from yourself through experience the answer is yes the more you will be unconcerned with the future and you'll be better able to make plans because they won't have to be, you won't have to control it so much. You'll be able to aim at high values and trust that as you pursue them, you'll be able to deal with the moment as it arises. And that's what people really, really struggle with in my view is trusting themselves to be powerful in the moment, whatever that moment is.
1: And also in letting go of the minutia. See, one of the things we see with Elizabeth is whenever she goes down that dark hole, she gets so stuck in all the minutia. Mm -hmm. And really and truly, it's about just letting go, letting go of all those little things we can't control, having sweet anticipation for the future, right? It's that sweet anticipation, the planning and the sweet anticipation, but not getting stuck.
0: Yeah and I think that's even you know she becomes obsessed with how do I pronounce om namah shivaya when I right. meditate and so I just want to if we may if we can take a 10 second pause right now mm-hmm. let's just let's just be quiet for 10 seconds okay So I, I want to know how listeners felt. The, the, the reason I brought that up is because Elizabeth asks for advice about how to do this mantra from her roommate. And she asks, well, don't you get bored? And the roommate says, 10 seconds have passed, Liz. Bored already, are we? And, mm-hmm. and so it's very much like people are very scared of meditation, scared of facing themselves because their mind is so used to, especially now where there's consistent data going in through Facebook, smartphones, whatever it is, um, that like 10 seconds of nothing is like, why, why am I doing nothing? Right. Right. Um, And so I just wanted to highlight that. um,
1: So if I can share an experience I had, because I've been thinking a lot about the two mantras that she mentions in this chapter. So I walk a lot. And yesterday when I was walking, I decided that while I was walking, I was gonna do these mantras in my mind. So I was doing the mantra that she uses, which is uh, Hamsa. Mm-hmm. And that one was easy, but I was doing the one, Amnamaya.
0: Amnamashavaya.
1: Amnamashavaya. <laughs> and I was, trying to, I was trying to understand why she was struggling with it as I was walking because yeah. I've been meditating for a long time. And my meditation practice has evolved throughout. And I've been doing yoga for quite a few years. And my yoga med- uh, practice has also evolved. And help reading this book is helping it to evolve to a different place now. Um, but having said that I was walking and in my mind, because I was in a place where I couldn't be saying it out loud. So I was saying it silently in my mind. And I wasn't struggling with the breath around it. And I think that her struggle is not so much with the mantra. Her struggle is with the part of letting go, mm. and so because she just again is getting stuck in the minutia, she spent a lot of time talking about how she can't do it. It shows us that she's still not letting go. She's still not at that place where she's a, willing to let herself just be.
0: Right, and that's you know jumping ahead a little bit. There's a there's a conversation between her and Richard about how she's a control. She's too oh, controlling. Yes and we'll get to that but that's where it comes from is like anxiety is because you want to control things because mm-hmm. you don't have enough trust in yourself that you'll be able to deal with the and experience it's, when it arises
1: it's the trust but it's also the fear it's fear of what may be if you let yourself because if you're you not controlling com-
0: but the fear comes from an in, like if if i I'm, I'm certain i can deal with anything then mm-hmm. I don't have fear. Whatever right. comes up, comes up, right? Yeah. Um, and so now in chapter 42, we see um, her conversation with her own mind mm. while she's trying to meditate. And I find it's really illustrative because that's very much how it starts for most people with meditation. Yeah, like one, you try for one second and it's, it's like a tug of war with your mind almost. And um, it is quite tough. And then it's funny because she also answers like, then it's like the mind gets mad because you're trying to like negotiate with your own subconscious (laughs) iterations almost. And then you also can even lose track of which one's which, like who's in charge, who's talking. Cause it's like, it can be quite chaotic in the mind. And so I thought it was just really, um, really interesting, uh, to, to kind of see that. And then, uh, yeah, the like conversation and like the mind feeling wounded, and like, yeah, you need to be gentle with yourself as well. Your mind's trying to help, even though it's giving you and distracting you. And meditation is just about she's like, she's kind of arguing with the thoughts instead of just watching them, right? Meditation is about learning to let go again, not control the thoughts, and they can go wherever they want, they can do whatever. And you're just trying to sit back and watch it happen, and eventually it runs out, eventually it calms down.
1: Well, and she alludes to, she says something, she says you should never give yourself a chance to fall apart because when you do, it becomes a tendency and it happens over and over again. And that's a two-sided thing for me because yes, we do have to give ourselves the permission to fall apart because sometimes situations happen that cause us to fall apart. But it's about how we can navigate that and the tools we, we have for ourselves that help us to be able to work through it, so that the fall apart doesn't starts to not happen as often, and so we can navigate the fall apart a little bit better. And I say navigate because she talks about uh, the movie Jaws, and she says how we're just going to need a bigger boat. You know, we're navigating those waters, and because we hit a we hit a big wave. Or we hit like a you know something that causes the boat to rock. Do we jump off the boat or do we stay on the boat and we navigate, right? Well, and you don't just get a bigger boat because you need somewhere to store more more stuff.
0: So I actually will disagree here that I I agree with her or her guru that no, you don't ever want to fall apart because it becomes a tendency. And perhaps, like, we have a different view of what it would mean to fall apart. But if if you get to a point where you are not in control of your emotions, it trains your mind that that's an acceptable state, and it's more likely to happen again and again. And that's how people end up down the, like, if it happens once, you're going to, it'll be harder to prevent it in the future, because there's this feedback loop of oh this is an acceptable state and so this is what she's saying is if you let your emotions totally overwhelm you that will just have a tendency to happen again you and i think this is what's really important and especially with men i talk to they do the opposite so they just kind of squash their emotions too early because they think if i feel my emotions fully i have to let them overwhelm me and act on them and so with the men i've talked to it's particularly anger Right. So they don't let themselves feel their anger because they think, oh, if I feel the anger fully, then I'll act on it. And that would be bad. But no, it's you have to have the balance of feeling it fully, having it take over your body, but not letting it then like be enacted, whether that's balling on the ground or hitting someone or whatever.
1: I will, sp- I'm speaking from my own experience, and I have been fortunate enough that I've been able to feel my emotions fully, but never end up as a ball on the ground, or crumbling against the wall. And so I've, I think that I'm speaking, I mean, when we're speaking, we're speaking from our own experiences as well. hmm. And so Elizabeth, I can't relate to how far down that hole Elizabeth has gone because I've never gone down there. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. But I mean, in the book, she captures how like, she's total just mess sometimes and like-
1: Absolutely she is.
0: To the point where all she can do is stand on one foot to prove that she still has any control over herself at all, right? Mm -hmm. But like, there is some like evidence of her context in the book.
1: Right. And that's why when we each read it, we're going to read it. And we're going to part of how we read it is based on our own experiences. So I want to just put that out there. So that people who might not have experienced this in their own lives are not going in with the expectation that they're going to relate to everything. When yeah, no, it.
0: I think that's a that's a good and important point. Um, and so so now we, we mentioned earlier, I think maybe a couple of times, Richard from Texas. Mm. Um, so it's interesting. So Richard is like, it seems like just a giant guy from Texas um, who's there. Um,
1: Who you would never expect to be at an ashram doing yoga and meditation.
0: Well, see, this is where it's interesting because I don't know who's... I, the expectation that I have for people who'd be doing yoga is just anyone who's lost. Right. Um, so, but I understand her presentation of it's like, you very much don't think it's like a big brawny dude, but I, will just highlight for, for my sake, like, yeah, I do think, you know, people go searching and and all sorts of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, this is where I really start to struggle with the presentation in the book is like, there's really this idea in his story of like two things that like there's a focus on prayer and just, Oh, if you want something, just ask for it. So he's asking for, um, you know, op- an open heart. He's praying for an open heart. And one, there's an implication that that's what caused him to need open heart surgery, which <laughs> I just think is kind of ridiculous personally, yeah. but two, that also takes away that no he he shouldn't have been praying for an open heart if he wanted one he should have been working to create it right and i right. think that's i think just that's an important point i want to highlight is i don't know richard from texas and obviously now he's here and working to improve himself but a lot of people and especially from more traditional religious backgrounds they think they just ask for something and maybe they'll get it But I don't know if it's in this book or another book but there is like someone who went to a fountain every day maybe it's later in the the book but someone went to a fountain every day and prayed to a saint like help please help me win the lottery please help me win the lottery and after two months or something the saint the statue came alive and said buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) So they were praying to win the lottery, but they weren't doing the things necessary to help them there. Right.
1: And that's why, again, the words work and practice are so important because, you know, you, without doing the work, you're not going to get whatever it is you're, you're looking for. And, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, when I was, when I was on part of my journey of self-discovery and exploration and whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. One of the workshops I did or something I read um, taught me that when you're doing your prayer, however, that manifests for you, um, that you shouldn't ask for what you want. You should ask to be guided towards it.
0: Right. Yeah. When not Right.
1: So go on.
0: When I was praying regularly, I don't anymore, but I was asking for the strength and patience to mm-hmm. continue on my positive journey. Right. Like, I was asking for myself to have the ability to achieve what I wanted to achieve. I didn't just sit there and ask for things to be delivered. Yeah. For,
1: right. If you ask for the guidance that will help your. you, you are helping yourself on the path that will take you towards where, you, where, you're, sp- where you're gonna be going.
0: Right, and I and think- to, can-
1: And any, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, on any path, you need to do the work. If I go out for a walk on a path, my walking is my work, right? I don't know what my end destination is gonna be all the time, but I'm guiding myself on that path and I'm doing the work
0: right and and i think even with with respect to introspection journaling prayer right the whole idea is this is a way to ask your own self your own subconscious for advice and if if some people prefer to do that through speaking it and if if some people you know whatever people's views on god is if it's helpful to put out and say help me find this answer that does query your own mind and it tells you what you're searching for And and it helps build that two-way communication. And I think that's really important, especially when a lot of people don't have much of a relationship with their own subconscious, with their own emotions.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you said the word trust late earlier. When you ask yourself and you start to get your answers, you start to have greater trust in yourself and your ability to find those answers and act on them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And it's and I think it's so important. Um, You know, I want to I don't know where this is brought up in what chapter, but I want to mention two things. One, it talks about or she talks about how the body is a place to rest or the heart is a place to rest. And that's what that's kind of I may have said this before, but I think that's the thing that most of my peers don't understand about the value of this approach. And the value of meditation is when you actually get into your body, when you actually calm your mind, it's so restful, right? Mm. And there's this idea, you know, I don't agree with all of the terminology, but there's this idea of like your mind just wants to stay quote in control. And it's just like worrying and worrying and worrying and it gets like almost freaked out if even for 10 seconds, it's not in control and it's not thinking And I had issues with this like to a thousand degrees, a thousand times, right? Like it was really, really bad for me. And I remember these conversations happening in my own mind, right? And I had to, I had to like soothe my subconscious, I had to soothe this anxiety brain being like, no, it's okay, you're not going away forever, you're not disappearing, you're just going to be calm for an hour. And it's actually going to be better, because you'll have more strength to think mm-hmm. better. And, and will you'll have more control over what you're thinking. And I had to like, basically teach my own subconscious, my own kind of integrating capacity or whatever, I still don't know enough about what's going on in the mind, right. But I think a lot of people, again, it's that control, it's that fear, it's that anxiety of, if they spend 30 minutes doing nothing that seems silly to them or their mind will fight back. Like why not do something? But it's like, no, it's, it's almost like a calm. You, your, your mind's always lifting weights. Your mind's always working. It needs to rest. And, and I think that's kind of what the body in this meditation serves as, which I think is, is important.
1: And a word that comes to mind for me, as you were talking about your mind and the calm is clarity. When we can go to that place of rest and give our uh, uh, help our mind put down its weights. We're able to find a greater sense of clarity. And you know, um, I you know the word fear comes up to me for me again, where people are afraid of what they're going to discover if they just let their mind rest.
0: Right, and you know, mind- oh, I would. Sorry, go on. The mind needs to be running to keep the lies in place, basically. Exactly. People lie to themselves a lot, and they know if they stop that for 10 seconds, for a minute, that they'll have to face those contradictions. And that's right. And we might
1: not always like what we see in -hmm. those moments. And that's the fear, right? The fear of not liking what we see and giving ourselves permission to say it's okay if we don't like what we see because that's how we can change Mm -hmm. right
0: yeah and so and like now like we get we're in we're on chapter 45 now and we get into kind of you know i i mentioned at the outset that there's some stuff in this section that i have like sort of quote issues with and this isn't one of them which i think will be very surprising for some people um so she talks about in her meditation it feels like something's going on in her spine her her ear goes to the side like there's these mm. bodily sensations and then she talks about in in the yoke there's names from all different uh you know religions and practices but in in this practice it's called kundalini shakti or mm-hmm. or something like that and, and it's about like I just want to highlight that I've had these experiences, right? So, like, uh,
1: so have I. So when you're
0: meditating, you can get to a point where your consciousness is like so calm and so low that it actually like is listening to your body to a point where like, I start like twitching and and like, mm-hmm. it's interesting because I was talking to a friend about this earlier. And the only experience that the average person has of this in my view is the moment of sexual climax when they actually lose control of their body and they're just kind of twitching out of control and stuff mm-hmm. because they're just so focused on the bodily sensation and good, good for them. But you can also like when you're so calm, your your body can have that kind of control and you're not filtering your own bodily sensations, right? Um, and the way your body wants to move and to people like even I still struggle when this happens like my mind's watching what my body wants to do so to speak and it's like why am I doing this but it's like just keep calm and it's almost it's stretching and it's you know it's this bizarre thing that I think people are really skeptical of but I like it does happen and I and I think there are explanations for it that like are worth investigating, but it's really fascinating to me.
1: So I've had experiences where I've been surrounded by light and I've actually had convulsions. Mm. My body has gone into a convulsive state and it's almost like this out of my, out of body sensation where I'm watching my body do this. And part of me is feeling like I'm meditating. How am I, how is this happening? Right? Because we have this perception of meditation as these monks or gurus or people in these movies that sit there in this complete state of, of stillness and silence and calm and no movement whatsoever. And really, when you get to those that place, like she talks about the blue light, the pearl, right? I've had that. I've seen that blue light. And when you can get to that place of feeling that sensation, it's like the most beautiful thing in the world. It yeah. really
0: is. It's pretty nuts. And like, I definitely, I have different mechanisms in which I can actually replicate that relatively yes. easily. And and it's, it's mind blowing to me and I don't have the scientific explanations yet, but to me, there are psychological explanations that are worth discovering. Um, but it, like, it's, I, you know, I think it's important to kind of understand that there is context here and, and it's really fascinating. And it's it's interesting to really pay attention to what these spiritual practices claim and, and try and see, okay, what might make sense? What could be valid here? Because it's really interesting to me. And the other thing I'll highlight is I love this idea of the subtle body, right? So there's this discussion of like, there are, quote, two bodies. And so I obviously don't think there are, li- I don't think there are literally two bodies, but- What I experienced in meditation was a full awareness of what I would call Mm. my subtle body, which was basically in my mind being able to feel all of my nerve endings basically. Mm -hmm. And so there's the physical body, but then there's the body that I feel through my mind from the inside, basically. And then when there is sort of a pain, I can try and pay attention to what is causing that pain and I can access it. And, And it's part of the mind right it's it's a very interesting and intense experience absolutely Again, i think many people are dismissive of or um, they're afraid or they're afraid of they're
1: afraid david
0: no i i think they're not even informed enough to be afraid right possibly maybe some people are afraid of anything they can't explain but Mm -hmm. i think it's more so they're dismissive of this like oh it's probably inexplicable right or, is, or it's impossible, but, you know, I've, I, I've experienced it. I know it's possible. I know yeah. how to access it. Um, and I just, I think it's so fascinating. And, and so
1: yeah. oh God. I was just going to uh, dial back or go back for a minute because you talked about the experience that you have, when you get to that experience and how calming and restful it is, it's almost like you go to sleep, but you don't really go to sleep. And when Elizabeth finally lets go, and has her amazing meditative experience using the word hamsa, which which means I am that. And um, it's interesting because hamsa is the Sanskrit mantra, but it also represents things in different religions, Mm -hmm. the hamsa. So it's fascinating that it links through um, from I am that as a word, a Sanskrit mantra to um, representing in Judeo Christian, Muslim, so many different religions and Middle Eastern religion um, as a symbol, right? The Hamsa, which is the hand. But having said that, she finally finds this breath that helps her to go to that place. And she was trying to meditate for 20 minutes, but she wakes, wakes up an hour later and realizes that she meditated for an hour and thinks, she says something to the effect of, I was asleep or I don't know what I was, right? Because she went to this place that was so freeing for her Mm -hmm. that she couldn't even put a defined term on it. Was it sleep, was it, what, what was it, right? And I think that that's really important because she found the term that worked for her, the mantra that worked for her, which is important for all of us to find what works for us and not what works for me isn't going to work for you, right, or might not work for somebody else. And then she let herself go into it. She really let herself go into it. And that was a big turning point for her.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what people struggle with is like, Is this going to work? Is this possible? Is this valuable? And like, I know in my experience, like I was really open to the possibility of this sort of stuff working. And then it did, right? Like, um, I just had a very, I was very open to the possibility. I'd read about it. I didn't think everyone who'd ever tried this was, uh, you know, off their rocker or whatever. Um, and so I do think, yeah. And, and that state it's like, yeah, the, when you're really deep in meditation, they say, sometimes it's even more relaxing than sleep. Cause some people, you know, their mm-hmm. mind is still, it's, it's consciously choosing to calm your own deep mind versus when you're sleeping, you know, you could be having vivid dreams. Your mind could be hopping all over the place. Still. I have some very not restful sleeps sometimes, as I'm sure many people do. Um, yeah. and, and so,
1: oh, I, sorry. I was, um, Go ahead.
0: Um, So I wanted to, to go so like, I don't remember exactly why I made this note, but I think it's important. Generally, um, I have the note, the start of the journey reaching into the deepest self. So this is only the start of her journey, right? Mm -hmm. She's kind of let her body get healthy. She's kind of started to feel okay. But now is when the tough work starts. Now is trying to unpack what's going on. Who am I? What do I value? And this sort of stuff. And and it's not like an easy journey. It's not an immediate thing. Um, And so now from this place, she starts to get frustrated with herself. Why is David coming up again? Why is my marriage coming up again? Why are all of these things? And I mean, you know, I have stuff coming up from years ago that I I thought I'd worked through. Why is it still here? But it's, it's, it's a long journey. Sometimes things can be really deep rooted, even if they're more recent, or they could be from a long time ago. But this is uh, like a very deep start, right? Um,
1: And she sorry, if I may, David, she says that the, you know, her next meditation after that amazing meditation was a disaster. And this is the other thing I wanted to touch on before when I lost my thought is that we're going to have days that are good days with meditation and we're going to have days that are not good days with meditation. And it's giving our self permission to acknowledge that those not good days are okay, because there are still things we have to work through. And that's where she went into that whole thing about David and, and she talks about hate and anger and all these really negative words that have such negative connotations. And you know, it's important because to your point that it is the beginning of her journey um, and part of that is still working through those things that we think we might've put to sleep but still are there.
0: Yeah. And, and why, when on anyone's journey, and this was certainly the case for mine and still is um, sometimes like e- there's this idea that, you know, each person I- I- is alone, right? Like in one sense, but there's also a shared experience in another sense. And so all this stuff comes up and then she says, Oh, my guru, what does she know? She doesn't understand me. She's an enlightened person or whatever. And, and like very much when I talk to people who are struggling who are trying to work through stuff, there's this idea that no one understands my experience, but it's like, but there are principles, there are shared emotions, like there there is a, let's call it human experience that yes, I can empathize with. I don't know your exact brand of it and I don't diminish your version and your pain and whatever it is. But when you're in the thick of it, it seems like, yeah, I'm alone. No one understands me at all. And I wanna just also add, there's this dream she has of this uh, Swamiji, she calls him. And it's like the waves coming and she's trying to stop the waves. And he laughs and he says, you're going to try and stop that. And the idea isn't that we can't control it. The idea is that you have to work with it, right? You have Mm -hmm. to learn, okay, there are waves, it comes in waves, and you have to learn the patterns you have to, there's a really good Quote, I think it's by Francis Bacon, who was like, you know, you know, a scientist a few hundred years ago. Nature to be commanded must be obeyed. And that's so nature to be commanded must be obeyed. And so you have to understand how your mind works. You have to listen to it and work with it in order to start get, gaining some controls, not even the right word, but some efficacy over it. But so often people just try and think this is how I want it to work. Let me force upon it. But you have to first study what are my habit patterns? How does my mind work when I'm triggered? What goes on? How does my body react? How does my mind react? So it's really like learning how how it works, learning about the waves or whatever, and then working with it.
1: Well, and you know, I mean, when she, uh, she has that dream, but it also links, I think, um, I just had a note here. Um, You know, uh, at one point, Dave, uh, Richard was talking to her about her marriage to David. And, you know, we think about those waves that come in and the waves that disrupt our lives and the things that happen and how we try to control them. And really it's, those things happen for us to be able to make the choice to either work with it, like to your point, or to fight again, if we choose to fight against it, nothing will change. And he said, David's purpose was to shake you up, drive you out of that marriage that you needed to leave, tear apart your ego a little bit, show you your obstacles and addictions, break your heart open so new light could get in, make you so desperate and out of the control that you had to uh, transform your life. If you clear out that space in your mind that you're using right now to obsess about this guy, you'll have a vacuum there, an open spot, a doorway. And guess what the universe will do to that doorway? And it's really about us clearing out all the cobwebs, clearing out the clutter, clearing out the stuff that doesn't serve us anymore so that we can make room for the new. And that's where she's, that's where she, Elizabeth is. She's working on finding clarity. She's working on finding herself. She's working on finding a way to make room, you know, um, for her to be able to make that transformation.
0: And, you know, I, yeah.
1: I was just going to say, he said, you have the capacity to someday love the whole world. We all have that capacity to love if we can just clear out the stuff that's tarnishing us.
0: Right. And so there's two two really important things I want to highlight here as to why this is so valuable. One is, you know, all of that clutter, those cobwebs that you talked about, you know that's bad philosophy that in my view right okay. people don't know why they think what they think and they have all these views of how they should act or how they should treat this person or that mm-hmm. person and there's all of this mess that they don't even know when did i learn this where did it right. come in? and it's very difficult to then understand how do i actually want to be and so you know in my view when i'm learning philosophy i'm learning well, what is that? What do I actually want to put in my mind? And I can actually choose that. But meditation is so valuable for clearing that stuff out. Mm-hmm. And you need both. You can't just kind of again like ham fist something new in. You have to understand what's already there. You have to have work to clear it out. And I do agree. And you know, I, you I have don't to know. make
1: you have to make room.
0: You have to make room. And you know, I don't know Elizabeth Gilbert or Richard. And and you know, when they say you can one day love the whole world, there's this idea that. I think it like that means like lo- there's this idea that you'll love every, every individual person mm. equally. And yeah. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's possible. I, I don't think that's good. But in, 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 in Ayn Rand's uh, formulation, there's something called the benevolent universe premise that you view the, the universe is a good place. The world is good. You can love the world. You can love existence. The fact that you're alive And if Mm -hmm. you stop worrying about this thing and loving and obsessing over this person or that person, right, I experienced it with my ex, like she took up so much of my capacity and my love that I was like more focused on the fact I didn't have her than the fact that, my God, I'm alive. Right. And so when it says you can love the whole world, I think that's the way I view it, that I can be in love with life, with existence, with the fact that I'm alive, I'm capable and I can live this life to the best of my ability. And I think that is, you know, I I hope I'm not projecting a different view onto them, but I think regardless, you know, I do think that there's some of these fundamental uh, valuable truths that these schools of thought are at least aiming at, even if they formulate it differently.
1: Well, one of the things he said is someday you're going to look back on this moment of your life. He talked about soulmates, you know, and we all are looking for our soulmate, but our soulmate is not necessarily the person that matches us perfectly, which is what general romantic society makes us believe. It's that person who challenges us and cracks us open and makes us really look deep into ourselves. And he said, um, people think a soulmate is your perfect fit and that's what everyone wants, but a true soulmate is a mirror. The person who shows you everything that's holding you back. The person who brings you to to your own attention so you can change your life. A true soulmate is probably the most important person you'll ever meet because they tear down your walls and smack you awake. And then he goes on to say, someday you're going to look back on this moment in your life as such a sweet time of grieving. You'll see that you were in mourning and your heart was broken, but your life was changing and you were in the best possible place in the world for it. In a beautiful place of worship, surrounded by grace. Take this time, every minute of it. Let things work themselves out. He says here in India, but you don't have to be in India for that. You you can make that your reality wherever you are.
0: Right. And I, I want to this is kind of the last point of this section. And I really want to highlight this because I think for many people, one of the toughest things is relationships, a lost love and this sort of thing. And I struggled with this for years to understand how I could so deeply care about someone and accept the loss. But he says, you know, so but I love him. So love him. But I miss him. So miss him. That's OK. Mm-hmm. It's OK Every time that that person comes up to you, send them love, send them that you miss them, but accept it. It's, it's, you have, it's people get scared of those quote, negative emotions that, Oh, but I miss them so much, but that means that they were a value. Remember how important they were to, to you. That's good. That's important. And it's, and, and I, I don't know, it's really important. He says earlier, give it six months. It gets easier But don't be scared of these emotions. And that's what, you know, I struggled for so long because I interpreted from other people when they said, get over it. Like, oh, I should somehow, it was wrong to still feel these emotions. You
1: snap your finger and it's gone.
0: But also they were telling me, oh, it's been two years. How are you still having these emotions? Like, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. Now I feel bad for someone who doesn't understand how I could value someone so much that five years later, I still value them. Even though I can't necessarily be with them. And so no, it's so I love just... them, so miss them. And like, that's okay. And I actually think that's part of then becoming really alone because you're not holding on to what would have been, what could have been. Right. No, they're there and I miss them and I am here without them. What does that mean now? And, you know, I'm then you're alone once you've accepted that.
1: You know, when you have loss, when you experience loss, whether it's a parent or a spouse or the end of a marriage or anything like that, you can either grieve it and you can choose to grieve, fill up with what that feels like, and then let it move with you through your life from a place that, yes, sometimes it may take you to that you know, to those, there's going to be triggers that are going to make you remember. But it's, it's giving yourself permission to never let go of the love and the goodness that was a part of that relationship, right? And the things, and that doesn't mean every relationship has good and not good, every single relationship. But if you can take it with you on your journey, as a part of who you are, from a from a a place of fullness, not a place of taking you down that makes it easier to move with it because you might, and that changes the definition of what get over it means, right? Because get over it doesn't mean just putting it all away.
0: <laughs> That's how a lot of people- Right?
1: Get over it mean you know, it, 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 it's more like heal from it and don't be afraid to take it with you. Mm right so i think are we near the end because i have something i want to share in closing
0: oh i wanted to bring up one last point okay um so we had talked already about this control the fear the anxiety and so at the very end of this chapter of this section um you know richard's telling her about like oh she must have been up with these anxious thoughts and she says all right richard that's enough i don't want you walking around inside my head anymore And he says, shut the door then. Right. And I I get goosebumps as I say it, because so many people leave their minds open to everyone around them to get whatever they want in there. And they are not in control of what they let into their mind. They let this person's negative comment, this person's whatever. And and she's saying, like she's wide open. I used to be wide open and anyone Mm. could get inside my head and he's saying shut the door be in control of your own mind learn to shut the door and then you don't have to worry about people getting in there and changing things and walking around and that's a really powerful thing as well that i think meditation helps with is to learn how to shut it because we're many people's minds are wide open to the world around them
1: so i had an experience years ago in a workplace where it was not a good experience for me and i did work with a woman as part of my journey, her healing journey and she said to me, you have to learn how to shield yourself. And she gave me the exercise that every time I was going to work, before I went in, I should stand in the parking lot and look at the sun and have the sunshine shine on me and feel like that sun was infusing me with the shield. Yeah. Right? It was creating the shield around me. So that because I do absorb negative energy around me, I am a very energetic person and I absorb what's around me. So whether it gets in my head or it gets in my body, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I started practicing that and I would go into work and I started to be able to look at work and feel those experiences in a different way. And I've been honing that skill consistently. It doesn't mean sometimes that I don't forget and I don't go to that place in my mind where it's like. whatever it may be. But what it does give me the power to do is manage it more effectively so I can get away from it more efficiently. Yeah. Right. And I think that that is, you know, whether it's shut the door or shield yourself or whatever, it's really about learning how to protect ourselves without pushing other people away.
0: Right. And it's again, it comes back to this idea we've talked about of being selfish of like, this is my mind, I'm in control of it. You don't get to decide what comes in here. You don't get to decide what I think about. And too many people let so many people, you know, the stereotype for me is like the mother in law or the mother and the parents and and kids have a hard time, especially as they grow up learning, okay, no, there's a separation here. I'm not just going to let your energy or let your stuff get into my mind. Right. It's a lot of practice as well. Mm hmm. So what was the last thing you wanted to share? So
1: earlier you talked about the body, the humble body and the physical body, subtle body. And there's this, this uh, from chapter 46, it says, just as there exists in writing a literal truth and a poetic truth, there also exists a human being, a literal, in a human being, a literal, okay, let me start again. Just as there exists in writing a literal truth and a poetic truth, there also exists in a human being a literal anatomy and a poetic anatomy. One you can see, one you cannot. One is made of tone, of bones and teeth and flesh. The other is made of energy and memory and faith. But they are both equally true. So faith could be trust. Faith can be whatever you want. Faith is often linked to religious faith, but faith is just having the faith in yourself, it, you know whatever it may be. So years ago, I said to my grandmother, I don't believe in anything. This was many, many, many years ago. And I was uh, in, in not a good place. And I said to her, oh, you were probably two years old, David, at the time, so many, many years ago, I said to her, I don't believe in anything. And she said to me, you have to believe in something because if you have faith in nothing, then there isn't anything. And I never ever lost that because I don't follow any religion per se, but I have now faith in the possibility of anything that anything is possible if we do the work, if we put our mind to it, if we recognize who we are. And the beauty of this quote for this section from the book that I just shared with you is that if we can find the balance, the poetic and the literal, whether it's in our body, in the word, in what's around us, that's when we can find our true balance. And I think that that's what Elizabeth is looking for. And she's an Indian now trying to find that poetic that poetic piece mm. because she lived the literal in Italy and now she's trying to find the poetic and trying to find out figure out how to make them both work within herself
0: yeah um so I appreciate you sharing that I definitely disagree on faith unfortunately and what it That's means okay um so uh, but we won't get into you know what is faith in this sort of stuff.
1: absolutely
0: um but I do think um like it is important to note that there I don't want to say there are two parts because it's like more like two perspectives on the whole. Right. Right. Um, And I want to highlight again that it seems I I am sure a lot of people are skeptical of this idea of the poetic body that's made of memories and stuff like that. But I'll just say we don't understand the mind very well. And I've had experiences personally, personally, that corroborate some of these claims. And I'm very interested in exploring it further. And I think there's a lot to be learned from this. And there's a lot to be learned from understanding that there is something to be said about the deep connection and the sort of two aspects of the self. Um, But again, I don't wanna highlight, like it's one self, right? It's one person that I think people are just disconnected from aspects of.
1: Right. And I think as we continue in India, we'll start to feel more of that poetic self,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And, you know, we, we keep talking about in Italy and in India and then Indonesia, maybe Indo- in Indonesia is where she finally can put them both together, right? Mm-hmm. And recognize that she is one being that is multifaceted.
0: Mm. All right, thanks.
1: Okay, David, thank you.